Welcome to the DTB podcast for September 2018, volume 56, number nine. My name is David Fazakli, DTB's deputy editor. And I'm James Cave, editor-in-chief. At the end of last month's podcast, we mentioned some of the changes that are happening with DTB. And in this month's editorial, we describe them in more detail. James, do you want to discuss what has changed and what has not changed? Yeah, absolutely. So those, say, who receive the paper copy and those who go on to our website will have already noticed a significant difference by the time they uh, listen to this podcast. Um, Not only has DTB changed its colours, but it's also now has authored pieces. So every article we publish, every review article will be authored, as will every editorial. So people will understand who is writing it. But despite that, we are still rigorously independent. We still are very keen to remain transparent in our provenance and our governance and really, you know, very keen to bang the drum for good prescribing and therapeutics. So there's change to named authors. Do you want to say a little bit more about why we've done it and what it means? Yes, I mean, this is probably the biggest change because those who have followed DTP through its um, 56 years, which won't be many of us, will know that right from its inception, articles were published anonymously. And that was because Andrew Herxheimer organised a very rigorous process of review and counter-review by... often a huge number of reviewers, sometimes up to 50. And uh, this was quite a cumbersome process. It meant that articles took a long time to develop. Very often articles actually would change significantly throughout that process, often for the better. But it was a very long process and one that really in this day and age we needed to try and shorten a little bit. Also, I think there was a concern that our content wasn't as high profile as it might be. And part of that was because our articles were anonymous. So when we when we went to um, we did some uh, surveys of people, subscribers and said, you know, how important is this to you to have anonymized? Uh, Actually, it came out that it not only wasn't important, but actually it was quite confusing. So uh, hence our change for this and future articles and bulletins. And so perhaps in this kind of day and age of of more openness and transparency, actually putting the author's name on it does actually bring us right up to date with with best practice. Absolutely. And, you know, these articles are still peer reviewed. We still have an exceptionally tight conflict of interest protocol, which we use. And I have to say one of the issues for us as DTB is finding rigorously independent authors to write for us. So that will be a challenge for us, but I think it's really important. It means that we can still stay in the independent uh, society of drug bulletins, which is a uh, large international group of drug bulletins, over 40 plus of us throughout the world. And I think it was important for us to remain rigorously independent. Also worth saying that we commission all our own content. So we decide what we're going to write about We go out and search for the authors, but we don't accept submissions at the moment. That's right. And in fact, you know, it is an important aspect. One of the things that we spend a lot of time with is looking at the brief that we write for that article. So when we do go out and commission it, we get an article that really fits for what we feel our readers would like. So greater transparency, greater openness, but the traditional values of DTB, conflicts of interest, peer review and commissioned content isn't changing. That's it. And it's probably worth pointing out as well that 
some of the content may appear online before it appears in the print issue, so worth keeping an eye on both the website but also the print copy as well. Indeed, that's right. Obviously, we'll be producing the print copy as always, but content will come online first. And if we have too much content for the paper uh, bulletin, then there may be a situation where actually the online content is greater than the paper. Okay, thank you very much. And the first of our two main articles this month considers the place of monitored dosage systems. Why is this significant and why did we think it was worth covering? Yes, so we asked Martin Juden to look at monitored dosage systems for us. This is a a really important area um, as most pharmacists, GPs and those involved in discharging patients from acute units will know that the importance of concordance with medication is particularly important given particularly the increase in comorbidity now Many patients over the age of 65 now are on multiple medications, and as people become frailer and perhaps are less cognitively uh, sharp, there could be big issues around concordance with their medication. So Martin looks at uh, the evidence to support the use of these. He also looks at the evidence that perhaps demonstrates that there can be drawbacks to their use, and uh, it's a very useful, comprehensive article looking at all these issues. And from a personal perspective, as a GP who is on the receiving end of requests for these, what's your reflection? Well, I have to say, and this is my personal reflection, but I think the moment someone says we need a monitored dosage system, that's the moment where you say, right, what we actually need to do is totally radically look at this person's medication. It's like a step change. So I will often have a major uh, stop-start review of their medication, try and make sure that that I've included in my approach to it the patient's social background. Because so often what you find is someone is coming in every day, but it's, they're coming at lunchtime. So the question is, can we move everything to lunchtime? Can we make it easier? So I will actually try and avoid monitored dosage systems. Now, that's partially because of a conflict of interest for me in that I have staff who have to then do make up these, and it's, they are very time-consuming. But it's a, it's a really interesting area. It's a really interesting area about independence. It's a really interesting area about empowerment of patients. And Martin does discuss this in his article about, is it actually a good thing? Is it easier for a patient or do they actually lose complete touch of what they're taking because they're just looking in a pot and looking at lots of different pills? So clearly a place for them, but it needs to be after everything else has been assessed and Absolutely. Tried. There, Absolutely. There yeah, it, it's not as simple as, oh, this patient's a bit frail, let's do an MDS, which is often how, I have to say, sometimes acute care systems think it is. They think, oh, this patient's a bit frail. What they need is a monitored dose system. It needs a lot more thought than that. Okay, thank you very much. And our second article this month reviews the evidence for using labetalol as a first-line treatment for hypertension in pregnancy. So again, first question, why did we commission this one? Yeah, so this was really commissioned because A, somebody asked the question, why labetalol? You know, why is it that beta blockers are fourth line in nice guidance for the management of hypertension normally? Why is a beta blocker first line in pregnancy but also I think for a lot of primary care physicians midwives and pharmacists the whole issue of hypertension in pregnancy is quite difficult I think it is different from hypertension outside pregnancy and with the increasing weight issues of women who are becoming pregnant 
and the increase in age as well at first pregnancy, we are seeing a lot more hypertension in pregnancy. I think we quote a figure of 8% now, almost one in 10 of women falling pregnant are likely to suffer from hypertension in pregnancy. And therefore, we thought it's a really interesting article, A, to answer that question, why labetalol, but also answer the questions of, well, what is gestational um, hypertension? How should I manage it? What should I do with medication in the first trimester? All those sorts of things are, are answered in this really, really good article, and I would recommend our listeners read it. Okay, thank you very much. To read these and any of our articles, please visit our website at dtb.bmj.com. And as ever, if you have any suggestions for articles or questions you would like to see DTP address, please email jcave at bmj.com. <laughs>